Hello, and welcome to Jeff Pasito Reads. I'm Jeff Pasito, and this is today's story. I'd like to start this episode with a bit of a disclaimer first. In this book, I've chosen to use uh, quite a few foreign languages, including Aramaic, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, German, French. Now, other than a bit of Italian and a bit of French, I do not speak any of these other languages. And so you'll have to bear with me with my pronunciations of things. Uh, German and Portuguese and Spanish and whatnot, I can find online some semblance of it through Google Translate. But there is no vocalization anywhere I could find for Aramaic. As I don't natively speak Hebrew or any of the other languages that have similar pronunciation styles, please forgive any mispronunciations you hear. With that in mind, I hope you enjoy Chrism. Chrism. Chapter 1. Quivendinus. Ernesto called orders as he plowed through the trench, his coal-black leather boots sinking three inches deep into the mucky mess that pooled at the bottom of the man-made swale. Tiny drops of mud splattered across the shiny, patent leather, marring their perfect patina. Squishing into another step, he continued his tirade of commands. His instructions came instinctually, a part of his brain operating outside of his control with a will unto itself. The words he barked ingrained into his psyche through months of training, an automatic response to the pounding echoes of mortar fire. His conscious mind, on the other hand, existed beside that trained mind, ignorant of the war that raged all about him. That part of his mind, the still human part, was thinking about his wife and six children, crammed in a cave under the pillars of smoke and fire that had once been Monte Cassino. He could imagine the whistle of each bomb through the air above their tiny heads, the explosive impacts of them melding into a constant reverberating drone that shook the earth and his family to their cores, all the children being tossed about by the suddenly shuddering world, bouncing uncontrollably between jagged rocks and crying mothers. These specters haunted the periphery of his vision as he continued his militant tirade, squishing through the mud and turning over body after body of dead or dying children. Children under his command, children in his charge, each youth bearing the face of his own Rocco or Benito. The images of Reno and his three daughters danced about his mind. His wife was only a voice, echoing in his skull, warning him to be careful as they parted ways that fateful night in 1942. Ernesto came to a shirtless soldier, face down in the dirt, his blonde, curly hair cascading down the back of his neck towards his badly scarred back. Deep, uneven lacerations across his shoulder blades brought the voices and images battling in Ernesto's mind to a cacophonous crescendo. He turned over the strange mess of a man that laid motionless at his feet, and all at once the symphony in him came crashing down into a void of silence. As the soldier's eyes fluttered open, Ernesto froze, his mind and body locked in the deep, radiant blue of the man's eyes. In those azure pools, Ernesto saw his wife again, and as the soldier parted his parched lips ever so slightly, he heard her name Maria. Maria! The whisper, barely audible, seemed to come through this pale, naked man, and not from him. He raised his hands in weak supplication and defense. Dirt ground into his otherwise pristine palms, his taut, almost porcelain-white flesh was pulled over clearly visible ribs that barely moved as he breathed, steady and deep. Other than the streaks of dirt and those horrid, gnarled scars on his back, the man's flesh was flawless. 
A salute of rifles were instantly trained on the strange man as a barrage of wooden stocks smacked against shoulders in a melodic clanging of military paraphernalia. Ernesto's wingmen glared down the smooth wooden body and deeply oiled barrels of their bolt-action carcanos at the stunned man. Nemico o aliato, snapped the man to Ernesto's right. His rifle remained slung over his shoulder by its thin leather strap. Splayed across his palms laid a small book, no bigger than a Sunday missile, with a frayed ribbon marker dangling from the top, open two-thirds of the way through. His grimy finger traced across the page, following his scrawled notes as he read in stilted English, Enemy or ally! Flashing his eyes at the stranger with a brief pause, he returned to the pocketbook and continued reading from its yellowed pages. Find Odo Verbundata, Inimigo o Aliado, he continued through the list of languages, struggling as the words found purchase on his tongue. Inimigo o Alie, Enemigo o Aliado. The stranger's eyes, wide as cue balls, darted around. He focused on no one, like a cornered mouse, twitching his senses in every direction for an escape route. His deep pink lips, full and supple under the splatter of mud that adorned half his face, parted, and he barbled out something incoherent. De Ashpar Sayet. Ernesto's eyes narrowed. His squint cut through the man and his twisted tongue, and with the spin of his right hand in the air in a flourish reserved for cinema, he announced, Tedesco! Two of his men released their rifles to hang impotently from their straps and threw a sheet over the man's shoulders as the other man with the small book bound his hands. Ernesto, squinting his eyes once more, rocked up onto the balls of his feet to feign a glare across the waking plain. He could see no way for this lone man, whom he had decreed was German, to have navigated no man's land, naked, without incident save the two lashing scars about his back. As the man heaved in deep breaths on his knees beside Ernesto, the rough fabric covering his back puckered where the bulbous knots of his flesh ran beneath. The very air around them seemed to quake as they dragged his walking corpse through the beaten landscape. His bare feet stumbled and tripped, as if his body was only now discovering his extremities, learning how to walk again for the first time. The shack they brought him to was made of mud. At least whatever used to constitute the walls was now caked with the damp, dark substance. The high-pitched whistles became muffled hums once inside the building, their volume and timber only returning when nearby impacts would rattle gaps into the structure, allowing the free flow of sound through their parted openings. We found him in the northern ditches, one soldier said in Italian. His voice bounced quickly between the floor and the tin roof, running off down the corrugated channels just slowly enough for the echo to rattle across their ears. They stood in a makeshift office, complete with a tank-green shoulder-height filing cabinet and a large wooden desk. There was a map strung up against one wall with what appeared to be hundreds of concentric circles, each equidistantly spaced across the surface with smaller target-like circles occasionally breaking their smooth curving paths. There was a standard bearing a tired-looking Italian flag behind the desk, which itself was adorned with a smattering of scattered papers, all held down by a random assortment of reconstituted munitions enjoying a second life as paperweights. There was even a coat rack with a bowler cap and thick, heather-gray woolen coat hanging from it in the corner. The gruff, aged man behind the desk chewed at his Toscano as he stared at the sight before him. Alfonso had seen a lot of things before the war, and even more since it had started, 
but he had never seen anything like this. Three men, two of them as soldiers, one a stark naked blonde man covered in filth and draped in a military-issue emergency blanket. Both Italian soldiers stood at attention, one of them holding the sheeted man upright, his arm interwoven with the pale stranger. You found him like this? Alfonso stood from his seat, wood creaking as he relieved it of his weight, and motioned out an open palm at the scene splayed out before him, punctuating the bizarre condition the stranger was in. Though the journey from the northern trenches had dragged the stranger through more mud, and raining dirt had stippled his exposed flesh and nestled into his hair, the odd cleanliness and obvious nakedness of his pale body remained intact. We believe he's German, the first soldier spoke again, as if following a pre-programmed dialogue, answering Alfonso's unasked question. Sighing a deep, heavy sigh, Alfonso took the cigar from his mouth with an elaborate gesture that involved the entirety of his arms swinging about, motioning for the two soldiers to seat the man. Alfonso remained standing, shifting his weight upon his hips, his eyebrows alternating likewise in a dance of curiosity. Fetch the interpreter, he barked, and before he could finish the order, one of the soldiers had already taken off in a brisk trot, his kit jingling slightly. Alfonso rested his hands on his hips momentarily as he took a mouthful of tangy tobacco smoke. We'll get to the bottom of this soon enough, Kruko. Grabbing the Toscano from his gaping maw, he crossed his arms and chewed over the warm smoke in his mouth. A lazy trail of white drifted up from the tip of the cigar as its pungent stench began to fill the cabin as it increasingly felt smaller and smaller. Placing the cigar in the brown glass ashtray that seemed to grow out of the top of the desk, he nestled his gray stubbled chin into the palm of his left hand as his right hand held his left elbow. He tapped his index finger against his thick, cracked lips. The momentary silence was broken by a thud outside that rattled the seams in the walls, once more allowing the piercing whistles to stab their way into the stranger's brain. Good day, the interpreter called as he entered the ramshackle building. He shook his head, poking at his ears with a twisting index finger, as if trying to unclog the hollow sound of nothingness, stopping up his hearing. Alfonso returned to his seat behind the desk, slinking back as a snake would recoil to its nest. The interpreter pulled a small steel chair from the wall and positioned it across the desk at a safe distance from the stranger. He straddled the chair's wood slat seat and crossed his legs tightly at the knee. Opening a large, leather-bound notebook across his peaked thighs, he pulled a pen from the stitched loop within. Touching it to his tongue, he paused as the room fell silent and the sounds of war melted in the distance. Began the stranger, assuming the silence was an invitation for him to speak. Ask him his name, Alfonso monotoned as if the stranger hadn't spoken. Wie echoed the interpreter, eyes focused hard on the stranger, penetrating him as his pen poised to strike the page beneath. Wie repeated the stranger in a stammer. Confusion settled in his voice and knit his eyebrows as his eyes flittered between the two men. Panic rose in him briefly before his shoulders slumped slightly and his strength slipped from his spine. The lies continued to banter back and forth within this Bermuda Triangle of men. Dictated command in Italian, followed by mechanically translated German, and finally a choppy, parroted response from the stranger. The stranger worked hard to form the odd German words around his broken, unknown tongue. 
It felt ages ago the soldiers had brought him in, proclaiming he was German, and indeed, in time, the language he spoke did become German. Thank you for listening to Chapter 1 of Chrism, Qui Vendinus. Please join us next week for Chapter 2, Talamiata. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can reach me by email at jeff at That's J-E-F-F at P-A-C-I-T-T-O dot com. On Twitter at jpasitoreads or visit our website at pasito.com. See you soon.